Hey guys, just wanted to give you a quick heads up before we start this one. The audio on this one is not very good. I've done my best to boost it and uh, get it to where it's uh, listenable. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. I'm here today with my engineer, Jason Harris. Our music is by Jonathan Harmon. And as always, I am your host, Dylan Rorick. In the world of So Bad It's Good, there's perhaps no movie more famous nor infamous as 1966's Manos, The Hands of Fate. The result of a bar bet between a fertilizer salesman named Harold P. Warren and screenwriter Stuart Siliphant, Manos was shot in El Paso, Texas over the course of a three-day weekend. Using local theater actors, the film was shot on a hand-wound Bell and Howell 16mm camera. No sound was captured during production, meaning that all dialogue and sound effects were added in post-production. While many of the original cast have passed away and many others simply disappeared, one has stayed in the public eye, and I'm proud to say she's not only a friend of mine, she's our guest today, the one and only Jackie Naaman Jones. Hi, Jackie. How are you? I'm good. 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 Happy to have you. So um, we do know each other. I should uh, go ahead and let everybody know now that um, we actually stayed with Jackie on a road trip we were on uh, in Oregon, the Falls City, Oregon, beautiful little town. How are things there? Uh, God, it was uh, about 103, 104 <sighs> yesterday. That's, wow. Oh, man. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, but otherwise, the town is good. You know, good. Uh, my uh, my son and daughter-in-law actually uh, bought my house and moved in with their three kids. So I'm still living on the property, and we're just kind of trying to figure out exactly what's next. But, right. But I'm staying here. I love this property, and I love having. Uh, three grandkids next door that I can walk away from whenever I want. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. It is a beautiful area. I really enjoyed staying there and you were so gracious to let us. That was so nice. So of course we're a cult movie podcast and I knew I had to be, to have you on to talk about one of the greatest cult movies of all time. And that's Manos, the hands of fate in which you played Debbie and go ahead and tell us a little bit about the plot and who you played in that. Oh, well, the plot was a family of three, mother, father, and child, and dog, were on a road trip, and they got lost and ended up down some strange road and found a place called the Valley Lodge that was run or watched over by uh, the caretaker, a clumsy guy named Torgo, and and uh, who took care of the master and his six wives. So um, the master is played by my dad. And uh, Tom Naaman. Tom Naaman. And there was a Doberman in it who was the master's dog. And that was our family dog. And my mother made the costumes. She made the master's robe and all the, the wives' dresses and my Debbie dress. But... She made most of my clothes back then, so, you know. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's it, your parents were involved in the theater scene in El Paso. 
My father was, he was uh, executive director of the South El Paso Boys Club in our early days in El Paso at that time. And my mother was a school teacher. And, um, but he was very involved in theater. He had been in college. It was something he was interested in. He played the lead role in many plays. He played uh, R.P. McMurphy in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, he was King Arthur in Camelot, where he sang, He'd never mm -hmm. sung before, and he was pretty good. And um, gosh, what else? Um, I mean, he's just in so many plays. I just posted on Facebook, I found some photos of him in uh, Henry IV, and he played the king. Mm -hmm. and, I saw those. Yeah, and that play is actually where Hal Warren found... I think nearly all of his male actors and really? crew members. So John Reynolds is in that as well? Yes, John Reynolds uh, was in it. My dad played the king. Um, you know, I haven't found a picture yet, and I can't quite remember because I'm getting old and my memory is fading. Hal Warren was in it, but um, William Brian Jennings, who played the sheriff, was in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad actually won Best Actor of the Year for the Festival Theater in that year, in 1966. Cool. And I looked at the dates on the newspaper articles, and it was just, uh, I think, April. I mean, it was just a few months before filming started on Monos of the same year. Okay. So as far as the production of the film went... It started as a bar bet, and and we should say Harold Warren, who took on this bet, he was involved in local theater. He'd done some work, uh, some walk-on work on like um, Route 66, the TV show, um, and I think a few other smaller things. And he and Stuart Siliphant, uh, screenwriter of some note, uh, were just having a drink, and they were, I think, was Harold kind of belittling him about his job? I don't know. <laughs> the story goes that they were, um, and and how Harold was uh, an opportunist for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, he sold insurance. Uh, I believe at one point he sold cars. <laughs> but you know, he was he was definitely a talker and. And uh, I believe Sterling Silicon uh, was part of Route 66. Mm -hmm. Route 66. And that's how how knew him, you know. As, yeah. You know, not like friends, but Hal invited him out. And they apparently made a bet. Hal said, well, anybody can make a movie. I can make a movie. And Sterling probably said, oh, yeah, put some money on it. <laughs> and... Uh, how did he made a movie? Right. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit. And I know you were very young at the time as this was being made. Um, you're part of the family that gets lost and ends up at this lodge. But what are your, what are the things that you clearly remember about it? I know you and uh, John Reynolds became friends. Um, he was, was he like, 25 at the time 26 yeah i think so yeah. yeah 24 to 26 he was young 
Yeah. I remember you said he, he had sort of a childlike quality to his personality overall. Yeah. He was just a, a real sweet, gentle guy. And uh, for somebody on stage, interested in stage, which is actually pretty common uh, for people off stage to be kind of shy, mm-hmm. sensitive and withdrawn. And <laughs> mm-hmm. it was those things. Um, and he was troubled. I mean, he lived just two blocks from us, just down the street. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad going to check on him a few times, just kind of worried about him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he of course had a sad ending. Um, I, I recall you telling the story about finding out about how, that he had killed himself and um, what you'd heard it on the radio. Yeah, my mom you? was a, a school teacher and we lived in El Paso. And although we were not military, she was a teacher at the elementary school on base, Fort mm-hmm. Bliss. And uh, so we were on our way to school. And I was enrolled there because of convenience and all. Mm-hmm. So she was listening to the radio and it came on the news that uh, John Reynolds had had killed himself. He shot himself mm-hmm. and uh, committed suicide. And uh, I just remember, I was just kind of spacing out the window. It was like fall. I think it was November. But it was I was just facing out the window and then I just heard my mother gasp and she pulled over and just started crying. And uh, so that's how I heard it. Mm-hmm. It's just that John, John is dead. Oh, that's such a sad end. Oh yeah. Now that I'm thinking, I think he was 24. Oh man. Well, he, he's certainly the standout in the film. I don't think anybody who sees that movie is not, talking about Torgo afterward. <laughs> he yeah. just comes up for everything. Well, um, I hope he would have appreciated his fame. <laughs> yeah. It came so much later. Um, and we're jumping around, but that's fine. That's what we do on this podcast. Um, but the film itself was made. There was a huge premiere. And at that point, no one had seen it, correct? Right. Prior to the premiere. I mean, we went over to Hal's house one night where he, you know, did one of those uh, screens and a home projector kind of thing and uh, just showed us some outtakes. Okay. It was more like uh, just some funny stuff and when John rolls off the slab and then he would run it backwards so he was just trying to be lighthearted and right before having some drinks you know <laughs> so that's all we knew about so you yeah. show up and it's like a full premiere he rented out an entire theater got yeah. the spotlights <laughs> yeah downtown el paso uh at the capri theater which mm-hmm. i believe now it's called the plaza theater oh it still stands yeah, or no, the plaza is, is actually across the street from it. And okay. when Ben Solovey uh, created the restoration of Manos, when he found the original film mm-hmm. and then restored it with a Kickstarter, that was, I think, his premiere, his first show. Okay. And I got to go to El Paso for it. It was very cool. Cool. But uh, right across the street. Uh, so the Capri Theater 
Hal rented it for the evening and um, he knew people at the local car dealership. So he borrowed or rented their spotlights that scan the sky, you know, <laughs> and uh, it had a big marquee up on it, mono, you know, mm-hmm. world premiere monophantasy. Tell listeners you can find pictures of this online. There's some great pictures of that, the red carpet, you and your father and mother dressed to the nines. Your dad was in a tux. Your mother's in this beautiful powder blue dress. It's just a gorgeous picture. She made that dress and she made my dress too. Oh, cool. Dress at the premiere was actually her wedding dress that she had cut apart and recreated. Wow. (laughs) I mean, it was like, yeah my dad had a tuxedo and uh so Hal rented the lights and there was a lot of press about it you know it got a lot of attention so that people would come and he made sure the audience was full and the wives came were at least four of them i'm not sure of all of them mm-hmm. but uh Hal rented a limo one limo and he had all of us show up at the theater and wait in the alleyway right behind the theater and (laughs) in our clothes and then the limo would come around and pick up a group you know (laughs) you know like our family drive them around let us off in front to get out on the red carpet right I just you know I turned seven I was six while I was in the film but I was Mm -hmm. seven by then and I remember thinking, am I the only one that realizes this is the same car and driver? I mean, I thought it was ridiculous. but mm-hmm. And then how, um, I don't know what he paid him. He must have paid him something. The little, the little street kids that live on the border, these little guys in shorts. And, and uh, he gave them all those little things of, you know, those little notepads and and pencils Mm -hmm. not even pens and gave them and they were instructed to be the autograph (laughs) i've got pictures somewhere of this cute little kid he's probably like nine years old you know handing it his pad and pencil to (laughs) so yeah go go ahead Huh? I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah. So we all go in the theater, and and I'm little, so my dad wants to make sure that we sit somewhere where I can see, we can all see. So we're sitting like fifth row center, and, um, and the wives are there, and Diane Marie, who played my mother, is sitting next to my mother, and I mean we're just all there and smiling, having a good time. And then the lights go down and that driving scene starts. And even before the driving scene was over, you could already hear little whispers and comments and a couple of little giggles in the audience. But I was mostly intent on just seeing myself. Sure. My first movie. Mm -hmm. How'd you feel the first time you talked in the film? Yeah, see, nobody bothered to tell the kid that all the voices were dubbed. I had no idea. Right. I don't know who else knew either. But all the women's voices and my voice was 
dubbed by one woman, it was actually Hal's sister-in-law, who was an amateur opera singer. I don't know that it helped her with the dubbing, but it certainly didn't help her imitating a six-year-old. And when her mouth opened and that voice came out, I was, I must have turned pale. I was shocked. Sure. And, and then I could hear the laugh. Because by then people were, you know, sure. not really hiding it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it literally, it got ripped on its very first showing. Yeah. Well, I would like to know some of the things people said. <laughs> <laughs> was it, I mean, was, were your parents just mortified? Yeah, but we were trapped, you know. Sure. <laughs> I mean, especially we didn't sit in the back so if the star gets up and walks out you just don't do that mm-hmm. you know? and um, plus we were in the center of the row yeah you and can yeah. see in that picture that's online you guys are boxed in completely yeah. <laughs> so we just uh, yeah we finished it and us and everybody else just got out of there as quickly as possible of course the limo wasn't there to take us <laughs> walked across the street or wherever to our car you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i mean the illusion was over right (laughs) did your did your folks ever talk to hal warren again i don't know (laughs) i mean i'm sure well i'm sure my dad did how you know because how they're all still part of the same small community yeah but um the entertainment writer for El Paso, Joan Joan Quorum, she was always writing glowing reviews about my dad. She really liked him, mm-hmm. and uh, she very kindly wrote pretty much nothing about this movie. Yeah, I mean that was very kind of people. El Paso is a big town, and it was even then, but mm-hmm. the the theater community is pretty small and, and very close knit. And he, plus he was well respected in his role with the boys club as executive director. Cause he spoke Spanish too. And being, you know, just right on the Rio Grande river mm-hmm. much in South El Paso. Was, he was a real asset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they all, yeah, the entertainment, writers and all pretty much let us live it down that is that is kind so after that the movie just kind of faded away everybody tried to forget it ever happened yeah um yeah i i thought it never showed anywhere because when i got older uh just out of high school i started looking for it Mm -hmm. and uh I started calling university libraries and, you know, anything I think of, and nobody'd heard of it. Mm-hmm. And then 27 years later, after Mystery Science Theater picked it up, then I started hearing, you know, connecting with people. Then different people have told me over the years that they actually saw it mm-hmm. at a drive-in. You know, it was one of the second or third movies of the night. It was one of those little float around movies yeah. that you'd get, you know, uh, back in the day. Um, 
on VHS when VHS was becoming vital. You could usually find a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy that a friend's older brother had or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, horrible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so we'll back up a little bit. So the movie's done and you all go back to your lives. You, um, we talked about this. Um, we've, we've done, we've talked before I did a panel with you before we showed the film. And um, I remember we talked about your youth. You would, you would skip school and go over to Juarez. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. Um, and and especially at that time, this is like the, the early seventies, mm-hmm. and uh, there were there were quite a, way, a few women that were being abducted and sold into oh, geez. in Mexico and on the border. So, but yeah, a couple times I ditched school. I was um, a sophomore at El Paso High School. And it was only like a mile from the border. And in those days, you could, like my family and I, we'd go over for dinner. Mm-hmm. And you could drive over the border for free. You just had to declare your citizenship. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has to say American citizen. And that's it. No ID or anything. But to walk over, it cost two pennies. Really? So I always make sure I have, you know, I make sure I have a penny. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, a couple times I ditched school and I walked over the border uh, and just hung out in Juarez for yeah. the day because uh, I wasn't going to get picked up by truant officers. <laughs> and because, remember, my mother was a teacher. Right. Not just in school, but she knew everybody. Right. <laughs> so I couldn't take a chance being seen. <laughs> you graduate high school and what was next for you oh next for me well i um in my 20s i got into the um the wine industry Mm -hmm. i had gone wine tasting with some friends before i was 21 in sonoma county and um uh, we went to this we, we went to this really nice winery and got served wine and the the guy who was pouring wine asked me if I had a job and that I should come in and apply. So I waited however many months it was till I turned 21. <laughs> and then I met <laughs> and I applied and I got the job. So so in my 20s I got to live on the Russian River and uh, go wine tasting and learn about wine. It was really amazing. I mean, I I drank a lot of wine, but I learned a lot. Uh, I got so good that, I mean, because our tasting room staff, we'd have like weekly wine tastings, mm-hmm. like a certain varietal. We'd do Chardonnays or Pinot Noirs, and, and, and uh, the wine owner, he would, the winery owner, he'd get wines from different wineries in the area. Because where I live in uh, Healdsburg, it was a town of 8,000 people at that time with 50 winery addresses. So I learned, 
you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I knew everybody. It was so fun. We would go floating down the Russian River on our day off after parking on the wineries land because the vineyards went right up to the river and they let us on the property. Right. So we'd park our car and take our rafts, but not before we went next door to Piper Sonoma and got a nice chilled bottle of sparkling wine. And nice. <laughs> yeah, I remember floating down the river. We'd each have our own bottle, you know, because we. <laughs> And I, and we passed by the public beaches, and I'd go. I wonder what the rich people are doing today. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but because of that, and I was I've always been an artist, and I I had I had a dream <laughs> about teachers because at that point I was actually managing a tasting room, a small winery named Fieldstone beautiful little place and uh, I knew how well t-shirts sold so I thought I would do some hand-painted t-shirts and I I went home and I bought a couple dozen shirts and I painted a great design and I wrote the winery name on it and I started selling them and then I took them around to my friends who were all managers and they're like yeah I'll get a few dozen we'll try them out and they sold. Cool. So I quit my job and I was doing hand painted t shirts. And then uh, a couple years go by, and I have a, my oldest son was like three years old, and dinosaurs were really popular. Mm -hmm. You know, every kid had a box dinosaur. I did. <laughs> so I had another dream, and I knew. But, um, you know, people go wine tasting, they're having a good time. Sometimes they'll spill on themselves or something. So I did this really stupid cartoon figure of a, a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex standing up holding a little glass of wine. And then I took it, I put them all on the, the clothesline outside and I splattered paint on them. And then I wrote Winosaurus Rex. <laughs> and I, I couldn't believe how, I mean, I just, it was ridiculous how many of those things sold. <laughs> so then one day somebody said to me, because I was also doing floral designs and doing fairs, just painting t-shirts. And uh, somebody said, I love your designs. Do you do walls? Can you do, you know, a stencil or a mural? And it just took off. I ended up like at least 27 year career. I'm still doing it when I can't say no, but uh, high end faux finish for people. I painted murals. I did the ceiling at the Navy Nautical Museum in Vallejo, California. Um, my partner at the time and I, we were way the hell up on scaffolding in this cupola. We painted the the night sky, the stars on the night that Mare Island opened. So, I mean, cool. And we had to, we had to satisfy a bunch of Navy people. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm still doing, I just finished a two week job, almost killing myself doing a two color faux finish for a guy. 
It was a, he said it was a guest house. I went, oh, how hard can it be? Yeah. Three bathrooms and a big giant game room plus the kitchen and like it's the hell of a guest house. (laughs) (laughs) Ceilings, everything. Wow. Wow. But I would say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I know I stole that one. Say that again. I'm so sorry. I missed that. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to tell yourself that, right? <laughs> You're partway through the job or you've already accepted a deposit or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm better for it. More money in the bank and I'm, I am stronger. Two weeks of uh, working out like that. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, that would wear me out. I don't like the sound of it. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of your art is displayed on your Facebook page. Um, I know we can find a lot of that there as well. Um, I'm pleased to say I got to see a lot of it in your house. Uh, It's some gorgeous stuff that you've done. Um, You've started making mono scarves. And are you also doing the cloaks now? Yeah, the master's robes. In fact, uh, as soon as I hang up with you, I gotta go finish one. It's um, I believe it's number twenty six. Wow. I've made twenty six of them, and well, actually, I've made another one because I made one uh, for my dad and uh, Monos returns. Right. But, um, yeah, and they're signed and they're numbered. They have labels, so they're limited edition. I I kind of committed to doing a hundred of them. We'll mm-hmm. see if I actually get that far, but I'm still taking orders. Cool. I made one for a guy in England once who was six foot eight. Wow. This one's going to Canada. The first one going to Canada. And I made one for a woman in Georgia who's four foot eleven. <laughs> so they are definitely custom. Cool. How does somebody get a hold of you to do those? I have them on my uh, Etsy. Okay. And I can give you the, the links. Okay. Yeah, I'll put those on the podcast when I release it. So right. I have some of my artwork there too, and it's in. Uh, Oh, I just got this new studio space. It's just incredible. I, oh, cool. Video, uh, is it on your property or is it a separate space? It's separate. It's um, the town I live in, as you know, it's very, very tiny. It's at mm-hmm. the end of the road and on its way into the, the forest. Oh, okay. And, and uh, BLM land is Bureau of Land Management. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful, but it's only a thousand people. Right. And um, and so they have this old building. It's a craftsman style building downtown, right across the street from the store and right next door to the bar, mm-hmm. uh, which are, we only have like three businesses in town, the little grocery, the hardware store and the bar. And we have five churches. Right. <laughs> and a school district, a high school and a grade school with about 200 kids. Okay. So this building is um, 
it used to be the doctor's clinic for many, many years. And in fact, I took my kids there when they were young mm-hmm. to that clinic. And five years ago, we uh, it had been sold to the city, but it had been sitting empty for a long time. And we borrowed it to film a scene for Manos Returns mm-hmm. in there. And in both where I took my kids to the doctor and where we film Manos Returns is the room that I got. Oh, cool. It's beautiful. It's 12 by 12 with built-in drawers and a closet, huge closet, nine, nine foot ceiling. Nice. Huge windows that I can see my brother-in-law's house from and my niece. And I told them that I could stalk. (laughs) No, in your home. So you've mentioned Manos Returns here a couple of times. I wanted to talk about the legacy of Manos. It has had a resurgence. Um, Of course, there's a thousand different little offshoots. We discussed before um, Manos, the Hands of Felt, which is, and what's that? That's uh, Rachel Jackson up in Seattle. She's a puppeteer. She does on-stage puppet theater and I first learned about this on YouTube, I believe. She had, uh, somebody had filmed her play, Monos, The Hands of Felt, mm-hmm. and showed it to me, and I just loved it. She had a master puppet. She had a Debbie puppet. Uh, she had a police car. I mean, police puppet. It was just <laughs> really, really clever. And... Um, I got a hold of her and just told her how much I loved it. And turned out she was doing the show again on stage. So I got invited up there and that's how we became friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then she became our assistant director and one of our wives in Monos Returns. And she's one of the co-writers as well of the script. And Monos Returns, the secret of Monos, the hands of fate, Debbie has taken over. Yeah. Yeah, so you're you're the central figure in this one. You're the master now. Yeah, and I'm like <laughs> a very unpleasant person. <laughs> I'm not a fun person. Uh, I mean, if you can imagine that poor child, and I hate to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen Monos, but the last shot just really upsets people because it shows me little Debbie in one of the same dresses as the wives are wearing. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that I've been claimed as one of the wives. And it's just disturbing because I'm six years old. It is. It's really a troubling scene. <laughs> well, we decided to run with that, you know. Mm-hmm. And we don't say what happens to Debbie in the meantime in Monos Returns. But she shows up. She has now become the master. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because the master is gone, but you know, he's still, he's with us all. Your father shows up in it though. Yeah. Very briefly. That was really cool because, um, he died not all that long later. So he got to be in it and he got to see it. And, uh, that was awesome. He had so much fun. Cool. (laughs) Didn't he, wasn't it, did he call you? When he saw it on MST3K? 
Yeah. Was that? I yeah. That's yeah. how you found out it was on there. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, my dad was living in Lincoln City, Oregon at the time. And he was, it was his day off. He was doing uh, like handyman repair work. And, mm -hmm. you know, because my dad could just build anything. In fact, in the original, he did the master and dog painting. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he was really part of. Oh, the sculptures, the hand sculptures are mm -hmm. in several pieces of his artwork. Very cool. Um, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, we were just talking when he saw it on MST3K. Yeah, he was a MST fan and he watched it every weekend anyway. So he was, it was a, a rainy day. It was January and, uh, and so he was sitting in his easy chair, the TV was on, and he was kind of dozing in and off. And then his eyes were closed, and he heard this strangely familiar music. <laughs> was it the Torgo theme? <laughs> and he opened his eyes. He says he opened his eyes, and there he was. You know? How surreal. Shocked. <laughs> so he watched the rest of it. You know, he just couldn't believe it and then and then he called me what well, was on comedy central mm -hmm. and although i had not watched mst up to that point uh i did have comedy central mm -hmm. so i turned on the tv immediately and i called that 800 number in the bottom part of the screen that's the closest i've ever got to this thing mm -hmm. you know after years of looking and then just giving up and uh, this guy named Matthew answered the phone. I mean, these are the days when people actually pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. Who's going to pick it up? I don't know. But he said he was, uh, he worked in the HBO offices there in Manhattan. And I said, you just showed a movie that I've been looking for all of my life, practically. Mm -hmm. And my whole family was part of it. Is there any way I can get a copy? And he asked the name of it. And I told him. And there's this long pause where I thought, I mean, I was shaking. I thought he was hung up on me. Mm -hmm. um, but then he says, oh, my God, are you Debbie? <laughs> so he did. He, he made a VHS bootleg copy and, and mailed it to me with a nice little note. And I thought, that's it. I'm happy. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, little could I know what would happen after that. And you know what? My battery, my, my, I don't have my charger with me at the moment. Oh, shoot. I can get it, but it's just going to take me a moment. That's fine. I, if, if, if you want to mess with it or we can reschedule the rest of this. Oh, I can, I can do it. We can go okay. Ahead yeah, I'll wait. Here. That's no problem. Okay. Okay. Time out. Time out. <laughs> So we were talking about where it's a, where Manos is now. We've got Manos Returns. There have been comic books written, yes. stage um, plays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, stage production. Um, you know, I'm living about 70 miles from Portland. And uh, trying to think how I got alerted to this, but I 
I learned that, oh, I might have seen it. They, I think he'd done it before as well. I can't remember. But um, but this, this guy in Portland uh, created a stage production of, of Monos. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a comedy. And they for Debbie, they had made a doll. So it's a doll on stage instead of an actual human. And they made a little Debbie doll. And they made a Doberman out of uh, cardboard and felt. I mean, it was really well done. And he was on little wheels. So he rolled across the stage and he, he would fall over too. <laughs> Is he still in your garden? Mm-hmm. Is he still in your garden? That the Doberman prop they made? Oh, no, because of just, you know, over time. Yeah. I had to let it go. He was there when we when we stayed with you, I remember. <laughs> yeah, and the Debbie doll, you met her. Yes. So, so I got a hold of this guy and I said, I live like an hour and a half from Portland and, and, uh, I see your, your play. And he says, yeah, we're, we're doing it again. And, uh, they were, that's right. They were doing the voice of Debbie mm-hmm. as an, an adult voice, like in the movie from the sound booth you know and uh they asked me if i wanted to be part of the play so i got to go to portland and they put me up in a little bed and breakfast it was so nice for the whole run of the play Mm -hmm. so i didn't have to drive back and forth and i just got to hang out in portland and meet some amazing people but every night i got to get into that little light booth sound area and uh be my own voice i got (laughs) just very cool. It was great. And the comic books? Yeah, uh, there's two or three. It's funny. I just had one in my car because uh, I was going to have my uh, oldest granddaughter. I told her that she could she could color in it if she'd like. Cool. <laughs> so, but yeah, a couple. Yeah. Gosh, what else? There's oh well, there's books, there's stories, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's my book, right? Growing up with Monos, the Hands of Fate, which can, you can also order. Well, the worst movie ever made, and live to tell the story. Really long title, just like <laughs> the driving scene. But I'm, I'm very proud to say that my book is currently it's like four and a half. Four and three quarter stars on Amazon. Wow. I have my copy. I absolutely love and treasure it. Wow. Um, and that's available. You can order that as well. And Jackie will sign it if you re- yeah. if you so request. Those are available and, out there. And if you're not wanting a signed copy, you can order them on uh, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it is a fun book for for anybody who who wants to just sit and listen to i've uh, recorded it in chapters on my youtube channel mm-hmm. so i gotta remember to give you all of these links <laughs> yeah that's fine yeah i didn't want to i know we haven't talked a lot about monos right here part of the reason is you've done a bunch of interviews already and talked about it and but you also have this book and i want people to go buy it um it's a if you're a cult movie fan it's essential it goes to a lot of detail jackie did a lot of research pulled a lot of things in on it. Um, there's also a great article you co-wrote on Cracked 
Yes. About it. And there's also an article that you can't find unless you buy the, the copy because of copyright and everything. But there was a seven page article in Playboy magazine. And uh, it starts with my name. I love it. They, I was interviewed for this article. And that was that was a treasure. It was, I actually owned that one. And it was one of those where I truly was like, I bought it for the article. <laughs> you don't know how many people told me that. <laughs> oh, um, I, if I were a good host, I would have grabbed it so I could give the the issue and the, the date on that one. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll post it on, um, when I, when I announce this, I'll post it on Facebook. So um i could legally read that article on my youtube i don't know i don't know what the rules are behind that maybe somebody here who listens will know and yeah not like i gotta take armchair lawyers uh, right <laughs> get myself in trouble this is interesting, though, because part of the reason Monos exploded, part of the reason, aside from the novelty of it, was that it's in public domain. And, um, sign, uh, of course, Synapse Films did a release of it, and that release is not in public domain, but the film itself is. And that's where licensing gets icky and weird and only lawyers can figure it out. But I know you've been fighting hard to keep it in public domain. I mean... Um... Yeah, there was a, a, that was what the Playboy article was about, the battle over the worst movie ever made. Um, Hal Warren's son saw all the attention that it was getting, and, and then he saw that the restoration was happening. So he said, uh-uh, you can't do that. And lawyers had to get involved, and it, it got pretty ugly, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You know, and... Um, he wasn't able to to keep going with it. I don't think you can do something like that. Like it's that. incredibly difficult to say take something in public domain and then reclaim ownership. Um, Night of the Living Dead is a perfect example of that. Um, right, right. Uh, it's a wonderful life. But there again are two other movies that only found fame because they were in public domain. Just like right. Manos. Wouldn't have, it never would have happened otherwise. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, yeah, Night of the Living Dead. For uh, my high school, on the last day of school, they always like to show a movie. We, I mean, El Paso High School is huge. Mm -hmm. Three-story school, football, and, and a huge auditorium and stage so with a balcony. And... Uh, the last day of school, they'd always show a movie. So I'm a sophomore. It's for the whole high school. And they showed Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was awesome. Like 1972 or 72. Mm -hmm. So it was a young film at that point. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. It's too bad they didn't show Monos. Oh, oh, that would have been so weird. God, that'd be a story to tell, wouldn't it? Oh, I do get to tell you the story of, because uh, um, Elvira showed Manos on mm -hmm. her show, too. And uh, Cassandra Peterson is the, the human who's behind mm -hmm. the character. And uh, she and I were both guests 
at uh, Crypticon Seattle, what, I think three years ago. And uh, she was across the room and I kept waiting for a moment, you know, that I could go over and just say hi and tell her who I was. And I finally did. And I got over, I was taking a break and she had a long line of people. Always does. <laughs> oh, man, long line of people. And she had a woman sitting next to her who looked um, pretty stern and muscular and, you know, like. She is. <laughs> you know, just get your signature, say hi, and move on, you know. Yeah. So, but Cassandra was at the end of the table and the line went that way, you know. So I just kind of assessed the situation for a moment. And uh, I just kind of like jetted up real fast, just real fast and squatted down next to her. I go, Cassandra, I'm Jackie Naaman Jones. I was the little girl Debbie and Mono's the hands of Pato. My dad was the master. I said it really fast <laughs> as this woman is like, I mean, in my mind, I see the Terminator. <laughs> I'm, I've seen the lady who who hand, who does the handling of all that travels oh. to many conventions with her, so I know who you're talking about. Well, I'm not exaggerating too much, right? No, no. Okay, good, because that was really all my perception. Oh shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and uh, and Cassandra, she looks at me just for a second, and then her eyes got big, and she goes, "What?" And then she looks at the line, and she goes. Stop the line. <laughs> it was great. It was so dramatic. And then she goes, come here. And she just started peppering me with all these questions about Manos and my dad. And mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, the whole thing just took, you know, a minute or not much time at all. But, yeah. but she was so sweet. And then, then she grabbed one of her photos and signed it for me. <laughs> awesome. What a yeah yeah she always has a huge line i've never been to a convention where she is where there isn't <laughs> yeah pretty special yeah so what else is going on with you what's new i know you um shot something recently can you talk about that yeah so the debbie chronicles um we shot the what we hope is the pilot episode of a series mm -hmm. And uh, it's my character, and it's a whole different story than Manos Returns. This story is an alternate universe. It's where I I just you're just beeping all over. I got this new phone, and I just, I can't even figure out how to turn it off. You know, <laughs> technology. I hate it. I should just like, throw it out. <laughs> so the Debbie Chronicles. It's it's an alternate universe basically, from Manos Returns. And it's what would happen if Debbie, as a child, was able to escape the Valley Lodge. But, you know, her mother was left behind. She lost her parents. She lost mm -hmm. her poodle, you know. And uh, so what would she do? And in this case, she grows up to battle supernatural evil. So I get to be have a, a badass doing good in the world cool but not without my faults of course right. a fun character and um willow polson and her son craig who have created it i went down to to their area they live in yosemite california mm -hmm. so, 
Um, we had a really nice set and in, in place and a group of people as part of this. So I think it's being done real, really well. And well, the goal is to find a distributor and get this thing going so that we can make some more episodes. Yeah. Because I cool. want to see where the story goes. <laughs> right. And that's based loosely around the comic books, right? Honestly, I don't know. I don't remember. I thought some of the comics were were follow, were exploring that where it was basically where Debbie gets empowered. Oh, maybe. You know, I'm I could gonna... be wrong. I can't. It's been so long since I've read them. So. Me too. No, getting old. Dang. I mean, I could turn 62 in July. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Like, really? Wow. Yeah. I'm coming up on 50 next year. So I think. Yeah, next year. See, that's where I am. I don't know how old I am. That's. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Thank you so much for taking some time out to sit and talk with me. I know our listeners are probably like, why didn't you talk so much about Manos? Well, you can find so much about Manos out there. And um, I don't like rehashing conversations if I can avoid it. So <laughs> there's a lot out there. You can actually find my interview with Debbie on our YouTube page. Um, the, the audio on my part uh, crapped out. So I, I hand wrote the questions to pop up before to prompt what you're talking about in that. So that can be found there. Um, we'll put all of your website stuff up. Uh, it's really great seeing you and, and saying hi to your son. And yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Everything. And, and if you or anybody listening uh, knows of opportunities, well, I'd sure like to get out there again in the world yeah. next year. Things are starting to open back up a little bit. So conventions are starting to happen again. So absolutely. Yeah, because let's just let's just all say this. We're going to have all this behind us by next season. Fingers are crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. Oh, I'm sorry. It is the will of Mono. It is the will of Manos. Therefore, it shall happen. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jackie. Take care. Tell Mark, hey, is he still around? Yes, he yep. is. Tell him yes. I said hello. Yates says hello, too. I sure will. Thanks. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Jackie. Talking Manos, the hands of fate, talking about what she's up to now. Check out her Etsy store. Go watch Manos again. Everybody needs a refresher on that one. Next up will, with any luck, be Beverly Washburn. I'm slated to interview her uh, later this week. Uh, that's Elizabeth from Spider Baby, a movie that's come up on here a few times, directed by former podcast guest Jack Hill. Uh, then I'm not sure what's happening. I'm out of interviews after that. I'm trying to book more. If you know somebody in the world of cult film that you think would be a good match for this podcast, send them our way. You can find us on Facebook, or you can email me at wpmoviehouse at gmail.com. As you're getting out in the world, be sure to take care of your servers, because at the Walter Baisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. Bye for now.